Welcome to episode 30 of F-Stop Collaborate and Listen with host Matt Payne. This week's guest is Sean Bagshaw. Uh, Sean Bagshaw has uh, been an inspiration to me for, for many, many years. Um, and we had a, a just a blast talking about all kinds of really great uh, topics, um, including uh, visual impact, um, what keeps Sean going, um, the origins and destinations of uh, Photo Cascadia, which is a uh, uh, website the, and group of photographers that uh, Sean helped uh, form up in the Pacific Northwest. We talked about the International Conservation Photography Awards, um, conservation and location sharing, and uh, and what inspires Sean uh, to continue. Um, just a quick reminder, uh, please uh, consider becoming a patron of the podcast on Patreon. There will be a link in the liner notes. Um, I've been recording some bonus material uh, with the guests that are it's only available for uh, patrons of the podcast on Patreon. Um, and as always, uh, feel free to reach out to me on social media, uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, email, whatever. Uh, Matt Payne Photo or Matt Payne Photography. I hope hope you enjoy this week's podcast. Thanks for listening. Sean Bagshaw, thanks so much for coming on the podcast, man. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. My pleasure, Matt. It's yeah, been a long uh, time. Like... <laughs> we've been we've been trying uh, to make this happen for like since summer. Yeah, I I thought you were going to say it's been a long time since we've talked. Which no, I been a long time. Kind of funny. <laughs> yeah, I, I I could throw you off on that. Yeah, remember that time when we totally hung out? Yeah, I was like, okay, I mean, I, I don't think I had that many beers when I lived in Portland, but maybe I did. <laughs> um, well, it's funny. Uh, we were just talking for the podcast about how um, I immediately recognized your voice because of your TK panel tutorial videos. <laughs> I know. And I apologize for that again. No, man. I, uh, you know, I am. Uh, I don't know if I take pride in it or if I'm just stupidly stubborn, but I don't spend a lot of money on like learning. And I finally, after too many, so many people just told me do it, I finally got TK panels and I spent the extra money to get the videos and it was definitely well worth it, man. Like, like it's, it's been fun to play with the tools to like, you know, there's things that I, that I already was doing in my workflow. Uh, but this just made it so much easier and faster. And so thanks for your work on that. <laughs> hey, uh, you're welcome. And, uh, and shout out obviously to, uh, to Tony Kuiper cause he's the, he's the real yeah. brains behind all that stuff. Right. He's the brains and you're the voice, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, cool, man. Well, I guess, uh, you know, before we get super rolling into this, uh, I'm sure, you know, you're, you're pretty well known photographer, but I think it's still good to, Maybe tell to the listeners a little bit about yourself, how you got into photography and um, what kind of made you transition into more of this kind of educational uh, role in the landscape photography world. Sure. Yeah, well, I um, I think you and I probably share a lot of similarities in getting into photography. I, uh, 
I was doing a lot of adventuring, mountain climbing, expeditioning, that kind of stuff. Uh, this was way, <laughs> this is a while back cause I'm getting up there now, but, uh, it was in the, like the eighties and nineties. And I was taking a lot of photos on those climbing trips, basically just to document, uh, the cool stuff I thought I was doing. I thought it was right. cool. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and then at some point, then it even transitioned into, Hey, wow. Other people might actually be interested in seeing my photos and hearing the stories of these trips and climbs and that kind of stuff. So I would, uh, I began going into these trips with the camera, with the idea of documenting, uh, documenting it for, uh, you know, a presentation of some sort. And then eventually we even got into some trips that we did that were kind of mildly sponsored in various ways. So then it became, that was kind of like the, the trade was I would do presentations um, kind of to support the sponsorship and that kind of stuff. So that was a lot of fun. I enjoyed the heck out of that, but I, I, uh, I noticed that, you know, I might, and that was back in the film days and I was shooting the scrappy little point and shoot film camera. I knew nothing about how to take good photos. <laughs> Uh, and it, this is a camera that really just had, you know, one button on it, which was just the shutter release. That was it. <laughs> I mean, uh, and then I put my Fuji Velvia slide film in there cause that's what Galen Rowell did. And then I'd just go, but, uh, out of, let's say a slideshow of a hundred images, there would always be like one or two that really seemed to resonate with people that they would talk about after the show and ask me like, where, where you know, how'd you do that shot? Or what was that about? Or that really stuck with me. And that got me thinking like, uh, okay, obviously some photos are more impact, have more impact than others. So what is it about that, 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 you know, that gives them more impact first of all. Uh, and then second of all, how can I do that with more consistency? You know, instead of one out of a hundred, how can I do it, you know, way more frequently than that. And so that got me into studying actually like kind of the, the the concepts and the fundamentals of photography and also composition and light and uh, all of that stuff. And I really just dove into photography then. And like it says on my website in various places, pretty soon when I got really sucked into that, I realized, oh, wow, I'm out here going on expeditions to these wilderness areas or mountains or whatever, not to climb them anymore, but to take pictures of them. And that's when right. I realized, oh, yeah, I've transitioned from being a, a climber to a photographer. Yeah. You know, it's funny you say that because I find myself more and more in that. Um, I guess I'm kind of straddling both worlds still right now because I've, I mean, just this year I climbed some pretty tough peaks here in Colorado. And of course, I brought all my camera gear with me. And it's hard to do both well because, you know, if you want to get to the summit, and be down safely you know you're starting before sunrise and you're pushing through sunrise you don't have a whole lot of time to stop and find that perfect composition and so it's hard to do both of those things super well so i keep finding myself pulled between those two those two desires and it's 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 honestly hard for me anyway i don't know if it if there was a point in your life where you were just like you know what i'm done with the crazy climbing and I'm just going to stick to taking the photos, you know? Uh, yeah, you know, I, I kind of straddled it for a long time and I still love getting out and I'll go up a peak if I, if I think I can, but, uh, but yeah, that, that conflict of timing and, you know, interest and, uh, you know, just where the focus is, is definitely something that I, um, 
yeah, I struggled with too and realized that really for a lot of the photos that I'm making, uh, the photos, the, the photo I want to make is not even up on the mountain. It's down, you know, the mountains in the photo and I'm f- actually far away from the mountain somewhere. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Totally. I noticed that I went on, I, I did an expedition uh, climbing Mount McKinley or Denali in Alaska uh, and realized that, that, you know, wow, I've been, I'm up there for like three weeks and all my photos, I mean, all it was, was snow, rocks, <laughs> and cloud. And that was, I mean, not that that's not great photo subject matter, but I mean, you can't really get a sense of the, the mountain when you're on it, on the side of it. That, yeah. when it's that large and yeah there was really no color everything was just white and black and blue and that was pretty much it and right. i realized wow this is not as i mean I, if i really wanted to get some good photos i should be down there in the flatland somewhere looking you know shooting back up <laughs> so yeah. at some point i just realized that uh combination of age and having kids and you know how much risk i want to take and and where's my interests really lie um kind of shifted it but if I can get yeah. up on a peak nowadays, I still enjoy it. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of shifting to that mode myself. You know, I have a 10-year-old son now, and, you know, it's, you know, the older you get, like, the less risk you take. Well, at least for me, anyway. There, there's an old saying I like to remind people of, and there's, there's old climbers and there's bold climbers, but there are no old, bold climbers. <laughs> <laughs> that is, I I know that one well. That's a, that is, and I'll true in so many so many instances yeah um yeah so well yeah, the, so you, oh i was, I was gonna say yeah, the go second ahead, part yeah. of your question is how did i transition into the education piece you know yes. once i was into the photography piece so my my uh, previous career was actually as a uh, middle school science and math teacher so i have an education background uh, you know being a teacher uh when i left teaching and started my photography business people asked me you know so you're going to teach photography and at that time, you know, just coming out of photography, I was like, no, or sorry, just coming out of teaching. I was like, no way. I'd just been doing that for 12 years or whatever. I'm ready for something different. Plus, I said, so I don't really feel qualified to, um, you know, teach photography at that point. But I guess, you know, old habits die hard or maybe <laughs> I just have a certain, you know, penchant for telling people how to do stuff <laughs> or telling people what to do. I don't know what it is. <laughs> But uh, I ended up back in the teaching avenue with photography, and it really has been a great fit for me because I, I do love teaching, and I do feel a real connection with being able to share um, and share knowledge and share passion and see the light bulb go on for other people. So that's something that has really been a part of my life for a long time. So being able to do that in connection with photography has been really great, and it really was accidental pretty much. Cause like I said, I, I thought, nah, I don't want to do that. But at some point, you know, people were asking, Hey, how did you do that? Or would you show me how to do that? And then it was, and so that was great. One person, and then it was four or five people saying, you know, Hey, if, if we paid you to come <laughs> here, would you show a group of us how to do that? And, uh, and then that became big enough where people were saying, Hey, I can't be there where you're showing that group of people how to do that but could you make a video of it and I'd buy it from you. And that's how I kind of seg- segued into the video um, aspect of, of the education. And all of that was like no business planning, no, no, no idea <laughs> that that's what I'd end up doing at all. It's just purely by accident and then realizing, Hey, it's pretty fun and people seem to appreciate it. So I guess I'll, I'll keep going. 
that's sweet man that's the that's the best way if it's just natural and it's not forced you know <laughs> yeah i guess <laughs> although i mean people always you know if people ask me or if i think about it like so what you know how i guess it's like if i tried to redo my photography career again i don't think i could ever possibly redo it because there was like no no real planning or <laughs> I'm, I'm probably the worst like business person on the planet well, that, I mean, that's got to be uh, hopeful for some of the listeners that may have some business acumen, but have desires to go full-time pro. <laughs> sure. I, I think that's really what it comes down to is like, if you have a passion and you're going to be doing it anyway, that that shines through. And that's really where I was like, I'm going to be doing this anyway. Uh, and I, I, it's not like I didn't try. I mean, I was definitely trying a lot of things, but a lot of things sure. I was trying ended up being the things that didn't work. I totally failed at. And the things that I wasn't trying ended up being the things that worked. Yeah. Well, so earlier you, um, when you were describing all that, you said when you were at these uh, slideshows with your photos, you started noticing that, that certain images um, had a little bit more impact than others. And I'm curious, over the years, what have you noticed is some of the common denominators for high-impact photos? So the things that uh, I think were standing out for people and for me, and at the time I didn't realize it, but I think, uh, you know, elements of light, certainly uh, dramatic light or light that really kind of helped tell the story, light that was unusual, you mm -hmm. know, compared to how most people might experience, you know, like most people are just kind of go out and whatever time of day and uh, really not trying to be at a place where there's certain lighting and, and obviously light is so important to photography. And I'm, you, you know, you know, we spend a lot of time trying to be at a place where the light really is creating the scene. And so I think accidentally, if you shoot enough photos, you might happen to be in a place where the light <laughs> really is special. Yeah. I'm a, and I'm I a think testament to that. It's all accidental. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I, and, but that's definitely one of the elements that I think people and myself were picking up on was every once in a while I happen to be, you know, taking a photo when the light was really uh, special, really was doing something well photographically, um, you know, that that was part of it. Some of it is composition, obviously getting the composition right. Um, some of it is telling a, a, a compelling or interesting visual story, um, you know, having certain subjects in certain places in the scene or creating a scene that really evokes a certain uh, feeling or emotion or, uh, you know, a memory or whatever it might be. So I think a lot of those different elements are the things that I was hitting on accidentally in those one or two photos out of a hundred. And those are the things that I've really focused on now for, geez, 20 years or whatever it's been, yeah. um, really trying to, to, to refine that and distill that and really know how to go out and recognize those things for what they are when they're in front of you and then and then and then take a picture of it record it yeah okay so what you're trying to tell me is like it's there's no magic formula like there's just some things that you've noticed over the years that help deliver that uh, visual impact um and that if you spend enough time in the field you begin to cultivate a relationship um with those elements that you start to pick up on 
Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, yeah, none of it's magic. A lot of it is just understanding the, the variables and, and then being able to kind of uh, maybe uh, close out the clutter and recognize, you know, what's compelling compared to what's mundane, maybe. Sure. Uh, and, and that just, I think, comes with a lot of experience and a lot of trial, you know, trial and failure or trial and error or whatever you want to call it. Um, and I think it's different, you know, everyone has a different voice in photography and a different story they want to communicate. So like what might be the elements that make up my photographs that make them interesting, hopefully, or, uh, intriguing or compelling or inspiring or whatever it is are probably different elements that I'm really paying attention to, uh, than, than someone else who might be, have completely different sensibilities in what speaks to them and what they're trying to communicate, uh, even within the same landscape photography genre. And then certainly in different genres of photography, you know, you're going to find all kinds of different, uh, elements that can create a captivating photo. Sure. Sure. You know, it's funny when I first started, um, into photography, um, I decided the best way for me to learn rapidly was to do a, a 365 project, um, you know, where, where I took a photo a day and, but that it was a different kind of theme every day. So I was forcing myself mm-hmm. to look for thematic elements or, or things that, that I normally wouldn't necessarily be looking for. And that was really helpful for me because it, it got me to see a lot of different elements and, and things out there that I probably normally would just completely ignore. Um, and I, I don't know. I, I don't know if you found this to be true or not, but uh, having similar backgrounds, you know, my, 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 my original intent as yours was to like document these amazing places I was going to and the experience that I was having and the view and the scene that I was seeing. Um, and for a really long time, my photography was like, I have to take a 365 degree panorama and, a, and show everyone the crazy view I had, you know, or like there was no, there was no story to be told or no, um, it was hard for me to connect to that, that artistic side of my brain, I guess. And, and it's, sure. it's taken me several years to study other people's photography to, to start to to cultivate that, that part of, part of my photography. And it's, that it's, it's starting to slowly emerge, at least the way I feel it has, because it, I think it is a journey that takes time, you know, it doesn't come naturally for everyone. Absolutely. I think that's the number one uh, question that I get from people, uh, or or at least maybe the number one question I don't have a good answer for is, you know, like people ask me like, Oh, how do you do this thing in Photoshop? I can answer that. Right. But people ask, how do I know what I want to take a picture of? Or how do I know when I'm looking at this raw image, this raw file out of my camera, how do I know what I want to do with that? How do I want to, you know, what, you know, what do I, how, where do I start? What am I trying to communicate? And that's where I'm like, well, I can tell you what I would do, but just because, you know, that's not at all the same as what you want to do. And for some people that, I mean, that's really elusive. And like you said, it's, it's a long journey. I also run into other people that are just brimming with this kind of creative, uh, you know, juice, this creative inspiration, and they have 
all this stuff in their head of what they want to do. They just need to know how to, how to get there. Uh, but I think I find it's more common where people have, you know, they're out there and they really don't know what it is, you know, what is the story they're trying to tell or what is it that appeals to them or what is the kind of artistic or creative vision that is unique to them. You know, it's their, their way of telling the story. And I don't have a good answer for that, for those people, other than like you said, just be out there, just do a lot of stuff, just try lots of things that 365 uh, project, I think is a great way to, to do that. Just, just shoot something every day, shoot something different every day and just try everything. And then the more you do that, uh, eventually you start, it takes a lot of time, but you start gravitating towards the things that just feel right to you. And it doesn't take a lot of planning or thought. It's not like all of a sudden you have this bell go off or this light come on where you realize, oh, this is what I'm trying to do in photography. It's this kind of evolution or migration towards things that just seem more natural to you over time. Absolutely. You know, it's funny. um, I think any of us that have been doing this uh, with any relative success for a year or two, everyone's, you know, you'll get a, a, kind of lesser known website or something that wants to interview you for like five questions or something. And inevitably it seems like one of the questions that I always ask is like, um, what would you tell other people to become good or whatever? And, and I always think like two, two things always pop into my head is like, always be curious about like what you see in the natural world, because it's going to make you ask questions and then like, look at it in a different way. And then the other thing is uh, follow a bunch of people that you find their work to be interesting and then try to ask yourself how and why they did it the way they did. Cause honestly, that's, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, I can probably say most of my photography success has been around being able to do those two things, just being super curious about what people are doing and how and why. And that's why part of why I was so stubborn about learning how to process myself because I wanted to like teach myself how to do it the way other people were doing without someone just telling me how they did it. <laughs> I'm, I'm with you. I'm the same way. I, I love to figure things out and to kind of, um, yeah, see, see what's out there and then, and then, uh, play with it, work with it, you know, try and fail, whatever it takes longer. And, uh, in the end, (laughs) you know, you probably haven't figured out the most efficient way to do stuff, but I'm the same way. I I love figuring stuff out. And, um, and that's, that's great. And I would say if, if, if you have that, or if anyone has that, that's, that's really helpful, you know, because then you're just going to keep banging away at it and, uh, you're going to, figure those things out for yourself and you're going to arrive there. uh, I run into a lot of people that don't have that thing where they, they just love to figure stuff out. Um, And so that's where I think the, you know, the value of a more formalized education can come in. Absolutely. you You can lock into resources or you can take a class or you can go on a workshop or you can talk to people and learn from them and find out how they do things. And, and I, I like that too, but I'm like you, I love to just play and experiment and, uh, 
and it may be a way longer and more winding path, but getting there is really enjoyable. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, what's, uh, given your, your long, um, journey with photography and kind of where you've arrived now, what, what motivates you to keep doing this after all these years? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, boy, I think, I think all the same stuff that, that originally motivated me in a lot of ways. Um, I love, I mean, my photography, I always, and this kind of goes back to the climbing and adventuring thing is I, I love exploration. I love adventure. I love mystery. I love discovery. Uh, I love um, the unexpected. I love all of those aspects of just being out in the world and then also including that in my photography. So as long as I'm still able to go new places, experience new things, um, have an adventure, have uh, an experience, be surprised by things, then the photography stays fresh. I notice that I start getting stale on photography when it's like, you know, if, if I can just pretty much call out what I'm going to be photographing before I even start because I've done it at that particular place or in that particular situation so many times that it's just uh, almost, you know, it's just, it's, it's just ingrained. Then it starts getting a little boring. And I notice that, um, I mean, some places I love revisiting because even though I've been there before and maybe dozens of times before, if it's different enough when I go, it's great. So going there in different times of year and different weather, different uh, times of day or whatever. Um, But, you know, it's pretty easy to nail a shot somewhere and just understand, oh, if I just go there in these conditions and then do the exact same thing I did last time, I'll produce a good photo. It'll be just very similar to the one I did last time. That's when it starts to get um, a little uh, run down for me. So... Yeah. So that's the thing, I guess, as long as I just keep exploring, going new places and uh, having new experiences, then the photography just kind of goes along with yeah, that. Yeah. I noticed you've been spending a lot of time over in uh, like Slovenia and places like that, um, which I, I feel like not a lot of Americans get to go to those kind of places. So it's, it's cool to see people go to these places that aren't necessarily as photographed as your more classic locations. Yeah. And that's, that's become kind of the trick here, especially in the, in the Western United States, I think is that photography is landscape, outdoor uh, nature photography is really just exploded. Uh, And so there's so many people doing it, which is awesome. I love that, that uh, so many people are into photography. Um, But there are certain places that are, if you live in the Western U.S. that are fairly easy to get to, that are awesomely photogenic and everybody photographs. And uh, yeah, so you start seeing a lot of the same photo come up over and over again. And that's where I'm now into the space where it's like, okay, so I've, I've photographed those places and I still love to go there and it's beautiful. And I mean, there's a reason why they get photographed so much, but I'm now in this place of, and fortunately having the, privilege and the ability to be able to search out new places, certainly new to me anyway. Um, 
you know, it's, it's always interesting when I get to a place that, you know, I've, I've only just heard of, or I've only seen a few photos from, and then I get there and there's the photographers from that area who, you know, who have photographed it's their backyard and, and they've covered it and done work there, you know, for years, far better than I'll ever do on my one visit. But for me, it's, it's still really, um, uh, fulfilling to go to a place where, Oh, I saw this photo. Where is that? How do you get there? Um, you know, what, what's it going to be like to photograph there? And you kind of pull that all together and go and photograph it is, uh, is really fun and exciting. And the, the more remote and less photographed those places are kind of the, the, the more interesting it becomes for me, but that's getting harder and harder to do all the it time is. as it's well. Really I mean, tough. It's really tough. Yeah. And, and that's, but that's where just start looking, um, you know, you can, you can really go smaller or go, you know, go places where you have to hike, where you can't drive to go places that are slightly off the, the normal trail. You may not get that, you know, massive iconic Vista of, whatever huge landscape formation that everybody's going to photograph. But a lot of times that means that, you know, if there's something that big and magnetic to photographers <laughs> in an area, that probably means there's a lot of really interesting, but less, uh, you know, obvious things in that area that everyone else is going right past because they're all so uh, laser focused on whatever that big objective yeah, is. Yeah. It's like um, my buddy Kane said he went to Mesa Arch and, you know, of course, like, there's a thousand people there in the exact same spot. Mm-hmm. And he said he just got curious and went like 40 feet to the right and found like a really interesting scene that he's never seen before. And it's, it's interesting how we get tunnel vision too, as photographers, like I'm going to go to this one location. And, you know, I had a interesting conversation with uh, Joshua Cripps about that. Like, you know, managing your expectations is the advice he gave people like, which I think is brilliant because if you go to a location with no expectations whatsoever, then it I feel like it it opens up so much more creative avenues in terms of what it is your your mind is open to seeing that when you're out in the field like and I I've been trying to do that more and more myself every time I go on a trip I purposely don't research the classic uh comp- compositions or classic locations I I kind of want to experience it for myself and discover those things on my own. It's kind of counterintuitive, but I've found it to be a a fun and interesting process. And it's, it's yielded me like some really unique vantage points and scenes that I don't think other people necessarily have, have found because they're focused on the more, you know, what they've seen before. And, you know, it's, it's, <laughs> I could talk about this for a while, but um, one of my listeners uh, commented to me, he sent me a very lengthy email, which I really appreciated um, because I, I tend to talk a lot about these iconic locations and how they're being over photographed. And, and he kind of had a different take on it about, you know, uh, I've had some amazing experiences at those iconic locations. And, and sometimes it's that experience of witnessing a scene like that for your own eyes that that drives and motivates people. And and then it also gets you to look at those areas in a different way. So um, 
I can understand that. And I, I think that's a valid viewpoint, but I, I like what you said about trying to just be a little bit more explorative and, and be open to pushing yourself to seeing new locations or doing a little bit of research to find locations that maybe no one else is quite shot yet. Yeah. And I, I think there's room to do, to do both, you know, to go to those places that you've seen photos of and be there and stand, you know, in that place where, you know, it's, 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 I don't know. It's, it's like this thing that humans have, you know, it's like seeing a celebrity, you know, there's some sort of excitement in that, even though it's just another person, but the fact that you've seen him in movies, yeah. you know, when they walk by and you recognize them, there's, there's some little, you know, tingle that goes there. And it's, I think it's the same with some of these big landscapes. I mean, the first time you go and stand at tunnel view in Yosemite, I mean, it's just awe-inspiring and it's always been awe-inspiring, but it's also amazing to go, wow, I've seen so many photos of this place. And now I'm really, I'm actually standing there in real life. There's something absolutely. to be said for I that. Think that's, um, yeah, but absolutely. then to, but to be able to, to, like you said, then the set, or we said the, the, the next step is to, okay, I'm here. I saw that. That's awesome. Now, what else is there? You know, what can I explore and find and uh, notice about this place that maybe I haven't seen yeah, a photo absolutely. of? Um, I could talk about that topic for a while, so maybe we could <laughs> switch it out. Um, yeah, so okay. one of the things I've been wanting to talk to you about, um, um, because you you are in um, Photo Cascadia, which is full of, um, in my opinion, some of, at least the Pacific Northwest, absolutely, like some of the best uh, landscape photographers there are, and people that that I've greatly admired for several years, including Zach and Chip Phillips and, and David Cobb and yourself. And so I really wanted to hear straight from the horse's mouth, like how did photo Cascadia um, come to exist and uh, what, what kind of ideas do you have for, for that platform? Oh, that's uh well, thank you. Um, that's awesome. That's all, that's always awesome to hear. It's a it's a really great group of people, uh, some of my best friends in the world for sure. And um, how it came about is that um, going way back to I want to say early two thousands, when um, kind of the internet as a place for sharing photography and also just digital photography in general was was really new. Um, there was a website. And it's actually still, it's still around. It's called naturephotographers.net or NPN. Yeah, Yeah, NPN. So at that time, that was pre-Flickr, pre-Facebook, pre-obviously pre-Instagram, pre-500px, pre-any of that stuff. That was, there were a couple other sites, but NPN was really if where serious, really motivated, interested uh, photographers would go to share images and give critiques and learn and teach and all of that. And it was really just a, a really vibrant photography community there. And uh, it was amazing because it was a place you could go and have the top landscape photographers of that time um, you know, look at your photo and comment on it, give you pointers and suggestions, and then you could do the same for them. So, you know, that's at that time, 
Guy Tao, Mark Adamus, Tony Kuiper, all the photo Cascadia people. Um, you know, I could go on and on down the list of, of the photographers who were, you know, Darwin Wiggett from Canada, Adam Gibbs, all these great photographers were there. So it was really just, um, affirming and energizing to, to, to participate there. So all the photo Cascadia folks were kind of knew each other from that, even though we'd, some of us had met each other in person. Some of us hadn't. Uh, some of us were kind of doing some some work together uh, back then. Like I first met David Cobb and he and I did some trips together, just the two of us just traveling and photographing, and then eventually started doing some workshops together. I know Adrian Klein and Kevin McNeil uh, were doing some work together. Um, and then various different permutations of us kind of knew each other. And at some point, Adrian Klein said, Hey guys, you know, we're, we're kind of all doing our own things individually as photographers, but we, we all live in a kind of a, the same region. We all have very similar, um, sensibilities around photography. We seem like we all get along really well. We all have, you know, uh, we, we, we seem like we like each other. We don't have big egos in this game. What do you think about making just kind of a photo group where we just all kind of pooled resources and, uh, you know, provided information and inspiration and hopefully, you know, just kind of spread the love of, of landscape photography. And we all said, ah, sounds great. So that was six of us. And that original six is, you know, we're all still there. And then a couple of years ago, uh, we were approached by Erin yeah. Bobnick uh, and her on board. And so she's the seventh photo Cascadian. And that's been a, a really amazing addition. Yeah, to the group. she's um, she was one of the first people that came to mind when I started my project for the podcast. And she was actually uh, episode two. <laughs> episode two. Yeah, yeah. she's, she's awesome. really phenomenal. And um, I've always been drawn to her. Um, her writing and um, she, she just kind of has a, takes it to an extra level that I feel like a lot of photographers don't necessarily even go into. And I really appreciate about that about her. So I thought that was a brilliant uh, addition to the team. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thanks. And we feel the same way about her and um, we're all constantly in, uh, in awe of yeah, her writing ability and just her, she, she really does. I mean, she's, uh, you know, from interviewing her, you know, that her history is, or her, her background yeah. is in art history and art, you know, studying art. And so she, she's a formally trained artist in, in, in ways that right. most people never will be. I mean, she understands art from so many different perspectives other than just being, you know, some bums <laughs> like the rest of us are that hike around right, with like, cameras oh, in that's the wilderness a pretty tree. because, because we think it's fun to do. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, so she really brings a lot to photography as an art and uh and the fact that, you know, her voice is getting out there more and more, I, I just think is awesome. Well, that's cool, man. I appreciate you telling me that cuz there's like like I said, you guys are um I think a lot of people look up to all of you guys collectively and so I think that's pretty pretty smart of you guys to to collaborate that way. So, I I love it. It's been, it's been a great collaboration. You asked like, you know, kind of like, what are our aspirations or what are we trying to do with the platform? And the truth really is, is that it's just, we 
we all have the same, we share the passion for this type of photography. And, you know, we're all from this region that we think is really a great place to, to do outdoor photography. And so we just want to share our enthusiasm and our passion and whatever knowledge we may have been able to pick up over the years with other people who are interested in the stuff we're interested in. And, uh, and that's really the main goal of it. I mean, it has provided some, uh, you know, I think some additional, uh, I don't know, gravitas or cachet because, you know, a group always sounds, you know, seems like it has some, some gravity to it. Uh, it also has provided us some opportunities to do things, uh, commercially or, you know, from a, from a kind of a work standpoint, which has been great. Uh, but really the, 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 the heart of it is, is that we just are friends. We enjoy each other. We, uh, we inspire each other. We help each other and, uh, we get along and we nice. just enjoy that's, doing it. That's awesome, man. Well, congrats on that platform. I think, I think that was brilliant. Thanks. Cool. So, um, another thing I wanted to ask you about that I didn't know about you until I was digging around on your website, um, is that I noticed that um, that you uh, were honored um, in the International Conservation Photography Awards, and I kind of wanted to just get a ask you about that because I don't is that still a is that still a thing and and how did that how did you come to get that recognition? <laughs> so the, there's two different, I mean, uh, there's, there's something that's still going on, which is called the, I think it's called the inter, ICLP, International Conservation League of Photographers, which is like a group that you can, uh, and I, I don't know a lot about the group. That's not what that is. But the in, International Conservation Photography Awards was actually something, uh, it was a, a photo competition that was um, sponsored and put oh, on by okay. Art Wolf. And not doing it anymore, but he did it for, oh boy, a bunch of years. And, uh, you know, it was, it was a great photography, um, you know, it, it was, it was like any photography exhibition. You, there were, you know, people entered, they went through a selection process, they selected the winners, and then they would have this big, um, this exhibit and it would show, up in Seattle where Art Wolf's based out of. And for a while it was based at his gallery and then it moved to the university of Washington and uh, it was great. And it was all, you know, the, the, the theme and kind of the impetus of the, of the whole thing was the idea of conservation, which, which art is a big proponent of, uh, you know, through his career. And so it was, it was a really great event. So anyway, that's the international conservation photography awards and I had uh, actually a lot of the photo Cascadia members had uh, images in that exhibit for multiple years. Um, but it's easy to get confused with the International Conservation League of Photographers who do events and conservation projects around the world. And they're certainly yeah, worth I, looking I into. have a pretty strong interest in that. I don't know if you've I don't know if you've listened to any other the podcast, but it's definitely a topic that. Um, I like to ask people about because um, we're in this weird dichotomy position as a photographer, landscape photographers, where 
were almost uniquely qualified to be activists around um, conservation issues because obviously we want to keep these places around so that we can continue to enjoy them and photograph them. Uh, I think (laughs) is kind of a natural logical uh, connection. Um, But then there's a kind of flip side to that in that um, through the sharing of our photography and social media and, and workshops and, and, and the commercialization of landscape photography, um, some of these locations are negatively impacted. And, and I'm, I, it's, I, I don't have an answer to the question myself, but I'm curious if you've put any thought into that kind of, um, I don't know if it's catch 22, I guess you could say, especially if, if you're a full-time professional that relies on, uh, workshops and things like that for your income. Yeah, that's, uh, I think like you, that's something that I certainly mm, am challenged by. And I know all of the photo Cascadia members consider a lot. And yeah, it's, it's a, it's an interesting kind of conundrum, double-edged sword catch 22, maybe, um, you know, on the one hand, we hope that, our images will foster uh, knowledge and uh, interest and education and respect for the natural environment and uh, just, you know, our, all the beauty and uh, natural goodness in, in our, on our planet. And, you know, and the fact that we want to take care of it and we want to preserve it. But like you said, yeah, I mean, the way that social media has gone and, the internet and uh, the interest in photography, a place that maybe never got visited or got visited just by a you know handful of people, a few amazing photos on the internet that get passed around, and all of a sudden there can be influx of uh, right. you know, thousands of people just because of those photos and some photographers and other just people, people who saw the images and want to go there and see it for themselves, even though they're not necessarily trying to get a picture of it. And so that's, that's definitely a trick. Uh, You know, it's like trying to figure out how to walk that line. I'm just like you. I don't know that I have the answer other than to say, uh, you know, really trying to, and I think if you go back and look in the archives of the blog articles on the photo Cascadia website, we've written about, um, these sorts of concerns multiple times over the years. And, uh, so just being spokespeople, trying to educate, trying to advocate, um, letting people know that, Hey, when you go to a place, be careful, don't do damage to the place that you are trying to photograph. Don't get the photograph at all costs. Uh, you know, having a, a killer photograph on your hard drive isn't worth if you if you ruined the place right. or if you contributed to it um and yeah there are certain places that maybe it's just not you know it doesn't make sense for a lot of people to go there and we definitely when we have reservations about places like that we try to not either share the images necessarily or or at least not make it really 
public how to how to go to those places. Just encourage people to enjoy the photos um, and without having to actually go there and damage it. And if we do feel like it's a place that is fragile, try to try to explain that and describe and explain why it's fragile and what the human impact could be and what the correct way to enjoy it without damaging it would be. Uh, but it's hard to do that without, you know, sounding like a hypocrite. It's like, Hey, you went there <laughs> yeah. and have a photo of that. Well, you know, why, yeah, why it is everybody tough be because you to end up, that? you kind of sound like some kind of weird elitist, like, well, I can go to these places, but you can't. Right. And I guess that's where I don't ever want to say that. Um, unless, I mean, I think I have, I have no problem saying there are places where you shouldn't go to, but that's because those are places that are off limits for everyone to go. Sure. And, you know, I wouldn't go there either. I would respect that as well. I think it's more likely to say, uh, you know, this is a place that's really special and fragile. And uh, so I'm not just going to publish the instructions for how everyone can get there. Uh, if, you, if you're really interested to see it and you really respect it and you want to do the work that I did to figure out where it is and how to get there, then yeah, go for it. And hopefully, um, you know, if you have that kind of interest and respect, then yeah, go check it out. Yeah. It's, um, um I've, I feel like most of the stuff I end up pho- photographing is relatively difficult to get to. So I'm not, I'm personally not super worried about a lot of the locations that I personally visit, you know, like there's not a lot of people right. that are going to backpack 25 miles into the Webman Beach wilderness area to photograph jagged peak at sunrise. But, um, you know, like if it's right off the highway or like you have to hike like a mile or two to get there, I, I think, you know, someone asked me today, I don't remember where it was, maybe Facebook or something, but they asked me if I felt like there are certain types of locations that are more resistant to being damaged by an increase in visitation. I'm curious, like, do you, have you noticed like different types of climates or ecosystems or, or, you know, desert versus forest versus beach that, that can withstand more visitation based on what you've seen or? Oh, absolutely. And that's why, yeah, you know, every location is different. Um, Yeah. There's, there's large parts of the, uh, you know, the landscape that are constantly changing. And so even if we go and leave some footprints, you know, like the beach, they're going to disappear with the next tide. Right. Um, There's certainly plenty of places, you know, where, there's snow or, you know, there's mountains that are constantly in the state of erosion and things are falling off of them all the time. And so someone, you know, hiking down a slope that's, uh, you know, being eroded by the weather at a much faster sure. rate, places like that, or places that are all very hard stone, you know, a lot of the places in the Southwest, um, that's just a lot of rock. You can, yeah, even that can be damaged, you know, obviously, places like the wave um in southern utah even though they're all stone it's there's delicate fins and things there that have all been worn off just because so many people go there and walk on it and it's not the same as it used to be but uh but no there's plenty of environments i think are more resilient the places where you have to be careful are obviously you know 
um, wildlife that's that's uh, sensitive. Uh, and then a lot of places where there can be erosion that, you know, wouldn't be happening other than when people are stomping around and also places where you've got a lot of real, um, delicate plant life and plant life that either takes, you know, that's really living on the edge already, you know, in like Alpine regions and in the tundra where it takes hundreds of years to just grow hardly at all and you're just clinging to life and man just one step and that's it that's it for that plant or those you know that area it's not going to grow back uh or or places you know where things have a a short blooming period and they they have to bloom and go to flower and get pollinated and then spread their seeds in a short period of time and if those get all trampled before they get to um complete that cycle. That's obviously really delicate. So being aware of those kinds of things, um, I think that's the kind of thing I think if you really are someone who loves nature and loves being out there and enjoying it, but also wanting to protect it, those are the kinds of things that you could learn and, uh, and be respectful. I love it. So thanks for going down that uh, rabbit hole with me. I appreciate it. That's a good one. I think it's an important one. Yeah, I think it's important too. I just, um, it's a tough, it's a tough, it's a tough cookie to crack. So I'm, I'm going to stay at it for a while and until someone says, shut up. (laughs) But uh, I think you should. Thanks, man. So, um, well, so kind of winding down. So one of the questions I always ask um, on the podcast is uh, based on the name of the podcast, F Stop, Collaborate and Listen. Uh, what advice would you have for other landscape photographers um, based on those three words? Boy, what what advice would I have? I mean, I love that that as a tagline and a name for what you're doing. And I think it aligns um pretty, uh, pretty closely with a lot of what we're about at photo cascadia as well. Um, so I guess, um, I I guess the F stop part (laughs) (laughs) reminds, you know, that, that piece reminds me, you know, reminds me that, uh, photography's definitely, I wouldn't say unique, but it's, it's somewhat rare in that it's this interesting combination of, you know, artistic creativity and technical, uh, skill and, you know, kind of a craft because you've got equipment and there's technical aspects to it. And so, you know, understanding your tools and understanding your craft, uh, is, is kind of the first step in, um, in being able to, you know, you become proficient with the, the, the equipment and the, the, the way that you, uh, create the photographs and then you can start applying your, your, your creative vision to it. So I, I, you know, I like that about it. The collaborate it's collaborate and listen. Yeah. Yeah. So I think um, obviously the collaborate part is photography can be a real um, solitary pursuit. Obviously you can, you do it just completely all with yourself. But one of the things I love about photography is that it can also be really social. And so that possibility to collaborate, I mean, photo Cascadia is a big collaboration. I also collaborate with lots of other photographers. It's excellent to be able to, um, 
to talk with other people and hear their ideas and share ideas and come together and kind of um, work work together on various projects and and creative visions and uh, create things that I think wouldn't you know I, I certainly know I wouldn't be able to do solo by myself right, right. and so the the opportunity to collaborate in photography I think is just uh, a really big piece of uh, you know, it just adds so many layers to it as, as something to do in, in your life. That's, that's worthwhile. Absolutely. And the listen, uh, you know, well, I think obviously your podcast is doing that. There's, there's so many different perspectives and, um, talents and, uh, interesting stories out there. So, yeah, I mean, that's a big piece of this, this thing we do also is not just, taking photos for own gratification or to try to, you know, I don't know, have a big splash on the internet, but to, to listen, to hear what other people's creative aspirations are. What are they, what stories are they trying to tell? What, uh, you know, what's important to them? What are they, um, you know, what are they doing with their photography that we may not do or have the, <laughs> the skill or the interest to do, but that we can learn from. So I think the listening piece is, is super critical in, in photography. Yeah. And, and I would say, uh, watch and listen to Sean Bagshaw's TK panels videos. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. My, my, hopefully my one little small contribution of something useful to somebody. Somewhere. Yeah, dude. So speaking of, um, contributions, uh, do you want to talk a little bit about, your um your what's coming up for you in terms of what you have coming up in 2019 uh 2018 or 2019 whichever man i you said uh i, I can go as far as you want yeah yeah <laughs> i noticed you said you got some swiss alps action coming up um but yeah whatever. yeah so well i'm always trying to get out and and do the exploration part you know the uh, adventure and exploration that's a big piece of what i do like we talked about earlier, that's what keeps me going. So 2018, I have a full schedule uh, of travels. Sometimes I'm traveling and teaching. So I'm traveling with other photographers, you know, leading tours, teaching workshops. Uh, other times I'm traveling just on my own or with another uh, colleague or a friend. But uh, yeah, I'm going with Aaron Bobnick and we're leading a uh, photography workshop slash tour in the Italian Dolomites in February. It's a winter uh mountain photography oh that's gonna be awesome uh, adventure so i i think that I, yeah i think it's gonna be spectacular and uh, aaron knows the dolomites like like few others so i'm i'm gonna be uh i'm gonna be her apprentice at this one even though we're leading the workshop but i'm gonna be learning about the area because i've never spent time there and especially uh not in the winter so that's coming up soon i'm excited about that then in uh, in the spring, I'm going to be going to the Faroe Islands with my friend Rainer Szwinski, who's a photographer from your state. He's uh, he's out of Crested Butte, Colorado. Oh, cool! If you get a chance to get up there and say hi to Rainer, definitely do it. He's awesome. He's a medium format film shooter and just does beautiful work. So we're going to go and have a little adventure in the Faroe Islands and just see what we see. Where where are those adventure. at? So the Faroe Islands are kind of, they're out in the North Atlantic. They're north of Scotland and oh, they're wow. kind of in between Iceland and Denmark, I guess. Okay. 
um, yeah, just out in the middle of the ocean, and you they're they're really windswept, and you know the weather's nasty there. Uh, they have aspects of them are very look similar to some of the uh, some of the island areas in northern Norway. Yeah, but uh, yeah, they're really remote, just out in the middle of the ocean. So I'm excited to go there. That sounds super cool. <laughs> yeah, it should be fun. Should be a good adventure. Something new. Something I haven't, you know, I haven't been there before. Yeah, well, so that'll be good. I'm late to the game, but I'm get, I'm going to Iceland in March, so for the first time, so I'm pretty excited about that. Oh, have a great time! You know, I uh, we're gonna stop in Iceland on this trip because we have to fly through there, and I've actually never been there either. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I'll be excited. To places Iceland's one of those places that for me was like way up high on my list years ago. And then it became such a, a destination for photographers that, you know, I still totally want to go there because I think the landscape there is incredible. And I think the people from what I understand are amazing in the culture. Um, but it kind of photographically slipped down my list a little ways just because it became um, <laughs> kind of cliche, know, something I just was seeing <laughs> so much, yeah, but, yeah, totally. I, but I'm excited to go there. And, and especially because, you know, I'm really excited. It worked out that it, we're flying through there on the way to the Faroe Islands because that gave me a really perfect reason to be there. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I have so I can't wait to see what you do there. <laughs> um, hopefully, I get some decent weather <laughs> <laughs> or some or some really burly weather. Yeah, well, I, I'll take a mixture. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Sounds yeah. Good. So who who would you like to hear on the podcast? Oh my gosh! Well, I, I have to I have to confess that I haven't been through your entire list of all thirty interviews, so I, I, I don't know everybody who's been on there. Um, I would think that um, well, I just mentioned Rainer uh, Serzwinski. Would he is just a really interesting, uh, thoughtful, insightful, very creative mind. So I, I think he would be a great interview. Cool. Uh, any the photo cascadia folks i know you've already talked to aaron i don't know if you've talked to any of the other ones but any of the photo cascadia folks would be great um and let's see who else i mean there's so many great photographers out there i can name you know some of the obvious ones um yeah maybe are, uh, uh anyone who's kind of like off the radar that 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 you appreciate that other people may not know much about or seen yeah yeah that's um that, that, that's where I was thinking. Yeah. Well, I don't know if you could ever get him because he generally doesn't ever, he's, he's, he kind of likes to stay on the, on the fringes, but if you could get an interview with Tony Kuiper, that would be, that would be a coup. <laughs> okay. Um, I, I, I could put in a good word for you. I don't know that he would go for it, but I could, I could try. Okay. Um, also, um, uh, you know, I was just in Slovenia and Croatia and, um, uh, as we talked about a little bit and the guy that we, we partner with over there, his name is Luka Isenko. He's Slovenian. He's kind of the, 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 the top Slovenian landscape photographer, just a really nice guy and awesome. Um, so he'd be great. Uh, I'll stop there. I could, I could list literally dozens. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that, that's perfect, man. I think that'll do like, that gives me some homework to do. <laughs> okay yeah well well man thanks so much um it's been really fun 
talking to you about all this stuff. Um, I've been, you know, a big fan of yours for, for, for several years, so it's, it's truly an honor.